The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Coming up after 10.15 on the program, our BDSM panel joins us. We're going to talk about some of the most common misperceptions of BDSM or kink. Uh, questions about dungeons in Montreal. What are dungeons? Who are they for? Where do you find them? Um, we'll talk about the impact of BDSM on relationships, and we'll answer some of your questions uh, right here. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your calls and texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion now at 514-790-0800 or 514-800. You can also email me anytime, laurie at drlaurie.com. So I got a lovely surprise today coming into the studio and checked my mailbox. I got this package. Uh, this is the letter that accompanies the package. It tells it all. Hi, Dr. Laurie. I happened to catch your show last week when you mentioned you were unable to find uh, these enclosed Valentine's candy hearts. So if you missed it, I read a story on Friday that the uh, those Valentine candy hearts that have been around for like, I don't know, 100 years or something were no longer available because the company was sold and they... Uh, I guess in the selling and uh, they, I don't know what happened, but they had stopped production and so they weren't in time uh, for Valentine's Day. Uh, so this person writes me and says, St. Lambert has a fabulous family-run candy store named Bonbon Noir. They have every candy imaginable plus Bonbon Noir sells online, bonbonnoir.com. So I'm giving them a shout out because I did get a, a beautiful little gift here. And sure enough, they had your hearts. Apparently they placed their order before Christmas. Christmas. Enjoy your hearts. I love your uh, very informative show. And this is from Cynthia. Cynthia, thank you so much. So I've got this package of beautiful hearts. I'm going to save them in a package. I'm going to give them away on Valentine's Day. We're going to have a special uh, evening. We're going to play games. We're going to do some trivia. And then, um, and I've got a bunch of prizes to give away. And guess what? This will be one of the prizes. So if you're a fan of these hearts and you can't find them anywhere, I've got a package. Uh, and maybe they still have some left at Bonbon Noir in uh, St. Lambert. So thank you, Cynthia. So appreciated. That was extremely sweet of you. All right, let me get to some questions. Don't forget, you can send them in. Remember, at the beginning of every show, that's what I do. Uh, 514-800, if you want to text in your question right here, right now, you can do that. Uh, all right, this is a bit of a longer email, but I think people might relate to it. So let me answer this. I'm not sure if you have the time to respond. I do, but I'm desperate for some alternative perspective. Uh, first, some quick background. I'm 51. I've been married to my wife for almost 28 years. I never had sex previous to my marriage, and I've never cheated on my wife since I've been married. However, I'm getting more and more frustrated. My wife comes from an ultra-conservative religious upbringing that views sex outside of marriage as wrong, masturbation is wrong, porn is wrong, etc., she has never masturbated, has only watched porn a couple of times when I suggested it to spice things up a bit, big mistake, in brackets, and she views things like toys and such as being a sign that she isn't attractive or arousing enough herself. I also came from a religious upbringing with the same views, and although I've never had sex with anyone other than my wife, I have and occasionally do masturbate. I feel like intimacy now is scripted and static. 
Thank God I don't have the testosterone levels I did at 20, but I do like to be intimate and I'm feeling tempted to consider looking elsewhere to spice things up. Can you have any insights you might be willing to share? Um, Let's see. Uh, I'm well aware of the tendency of people to often think the grass is greener elsewhere, but my wife is completely close to using toys, role-playing, anything other than traditional sex. She seldom, if ever, initiates, and if I do, it's my job to warm her up and get her in the mood. I religiously make sure she always orgasms at least once unless she shows no interest, in which case I usually just abandon any efforts at all. The thought of being with another woman who enjoys sex and is less shielded is intoxicating, but I know this will assuredly end my marriage if I do, and I love my wife, and that's the last thing I want. Wow. Powerful email, uh, but I think a lot of people can actually relate to this. Uh, So what I see here is that you are far more open-minded than your wife, and maybe it has to do with your education, maybe your exposure to sexual knowledge, stuff like that. Obviously, going outside of your marriage in secrecy is may absolutely uh, destroy your marriage. So it is not a great idea, as intoxicating as the idea is for you. I get that. Uh, as for your wife not initiating, I have to say this is often part of such a religious strict upbringing. A lot of women have received the message that it's up to men to do the asking and that good girls, I uh, put that in quotation marks, are not supposed to show uh, sexual interest. It's really hard to fight that kind of uh, of upbringing. As for the it's your job, uh, first of all, in a manner of speaking, it is your job <laughs> to warm her up. Women do need to be warmed up in order to trigger uh, desire. So uh, you've, you might have heard me talk about this a lot on the air, about uh, the difference between men and women when it comes to desire. But oftentimes women lose some of that spontaneous desire, especially after 28 years of marriage. They may not lose interest in sex, but they do lose the spontaneous desire. And their desire often kicks in once they are aroused. So once they make the choice or the decision to engage in sex uh, and you stimulate them, then uh, the desire uh, kind of kicks in. So I think there's some uh, good news here is that she appears to enjoy sex with you. I mean, you say that she's able to orgasm pretty frequently or uh, regularly. So that's that's a good thing. But what's missing here is uh, your wife has little knowledge or education about sexuality. So maybe opening up her mind by reading together, possibly reading a book. Uh, Here I'm going to self-promote a little bit, but I would recommend my book, The Sex Bible for People Over 50, and it does address some of these issues, and you it's something that you can read together. It has uh, tips and things you can try together, so sometimes hearing it from not porn but a professional in the field might allow her to, to be slightly more open to considering stuff and letting her know that you love her and you find her attractive and it has nothing to do with any of that stuff. When she sees it in black and white and and, and written uh, that it's okay and is perfectly normal to experiment and to to try to spice things up, then maybe, just maybe, she'll be a a little more open. So sometimes women become... um, 
more in touch with their sexuality much later on in life. Uh, but they have to, you have to fight off a lot of this, these shame based messages about sex. If you don't let go of the shame that's attached to sexuality, uh, then it's really hard to be, um, to feel completely free in your sexuality. And, and that's, that's just the way it, it seems to be, right? So the more knowledge you have, the more you can f- understand that it's not shameful uh, to use sex toys, for example, or to talk about sexuality or to enjoy sex as a woman or to initiate sex as a woman. The more you let go of these things, the more you can accept and grow in uh, in your sexuality. So I think... Reading together is probably the best thing. Uh, is it possible to enlarge or elongate the penis? Well, there are no, there's a couple of things you could do surgically. Uh, you can cut the ligaments at the base of the, the penis, which would make it appear longer. Uh, in its flaccid state, but would have nothing to do with its erect state. There are now methods of injecting fat into the penis to grow girth, so you can make it thicker, but you can't make it longer. Although I know I'm going to get an email from one listener who keeps swearing up and down that he made his longer by these things called super Kegel exercises. You can look that up, but I can tell you there is no scientific evidence of anything actually working to elongate the penis. Um, the only thing is if it doesn't, maybe you haven't reached the maximum, which means that maybe there's not enough blood flow. So that's something that you can think about, whether it's medication or what have you. Thank you for your questions tonight. Coming up, our BDSM panel will address all kinds of things related to kinky sex. Uh, That's coming up. From the pleasure to the pain and everything in between. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. You know that music. We only hear it on our BDSM Kink Night. And our panelist tonight, Dane Stewart. He's the advocate for the human pup community, Woof MTL, and founder of Talking Dog uh, Productions, the pup community. It's a kink community, so in case you have questions, you can ask uh, Dane about that. Uh, We have Pierre and Catherine, who are BDSM practitioners and founders of BDSM Circle Dot com. Welcome all back Hello. to the program. Hello. Hello. So how about we start with the question? This was a question from our one of our uh, listeners. I think it came in last night, but I said I would share it with you guys because I didn't really have all the answers to this. Uh, my girlfriend that I have been, he says to use a cleaner word, so I'm not sure what, what other <laughs> word he was going to use, uh, that I've been seeing for a while wants me to hit her during intercourse and to be aggressive. The point that I may leave bruises. Should I be this aggressive? Should I tell her I have my limits? I don't want to hurt her or leave bruises on her. What do you tell this gentleman? Absolutely. You talk to her, you tell her your limits. And when you're starting off, you want to make sure that you start off slow. So let's say start with the spanking. Make sure you you spank her on like the butt part because mm-hmm. it's a safe place to hit. And, you know, you work up. You work up to it. So you don't start off by like wailing on her butt. You start off with little taps and you get harder and harder, mm-hmm. you know. And, and the first time or whatever, you can say, you know, how are you doing? She can have a signal 
that if it's getting too intense so that you can feel confident about it as well. Right. So, you know, if, if she doesn't want to talk, it could be something that she holds in her hand and she drops. Okay. So some kind if, of safe word or signal. Exactly. Right. You know, I, what I'm thinking he's saying uh, he's during afraid. intercourse, but he's also saying during intercourse. So I'm thinking he can't spank her butt during intercourse. Well, it depends well, on, it, it yes, depends on yes, this, yes, sorry. <laughs> it depends on, on the position. Oops. My bad. You're absolutely right. <laughs> I mean, it's a little late. My fan, you know, my whole fantastical life isn't quite uh, in gear right now. I get it. Okay, so it can be a different uh, position. But I'm also thinking when I hear that, is he talking about? Is, does she want choking? Does she want hair pulling? Exactly. So you need to talk about, it and you want to start off slow. Whatever you decide to do, be it pulling the hair, whatever. I mean, you know, you pull, you pull a little harder. And then if this is still good, you pull a little harder. Right. You're not and going and just yanking or, exactly. you know, giving her a bop you know, on the head. Don't start by dragging her across the room by your hair. Uh, no. Well, <laughs> and I would say have a conversation before and make sure you also have a conversation after. Oh, yes. Be- the exactly. debriefing. Mm-hmm. Right. And beforehand, check in and see what she's interested in experiencing, what she wants to try, and what you would be willing to try versus what is absolutely off the table for you. Okay. And then based on that, like Catherine said, you can you can try some things out starting with the, the things that are really uh, could work for both of you. And afterwards, make sure that you have that conversation. Check in with her, ask how it was for her, and she can check in with you as well and say, did you feel comfortable doing this? Right. Yeah. I'm also concerned about the the idea of leaving bruises because does most of it involve bruising i i thought not it depends okay. some some like it but in this case if he's uh, afraid of going that far he should sit down and talk and explain his fear to her and, and then go back to exactly what Catherine or dane said you know you start slowly and you you build things i have another thing i want to add to that if i may as the cautious one here is I would want this in writing because what if she, she I don't know, I'm just thinking the worst sure, case scenario, she goes to the police thing. and says, look, I, my partner hit me and here are my bruises. Like if something goes bad or she gets angry, I would want it in writing. There's a consent here There's that we, we both agreed. This is how far we both decided to go so that it doesn't well, come back to bite him. Yes, but, but you also have to remember you can withdraw consent at any time. So that only goes so far. It does go that it, it does show that you had a BDSM relationship exactly. and, and everything for, for sure. Right. And, and it can be um, very therapeutic to, to do it between, you know, to write these things out. It can be actually very sexy kind of time for you. Um, where, you know, it's like a, uh, you know, preamble to it, uh, most working con- up to most it. Most contracts don't appear sexy, but yes, okay. <laughs> but I, I, I hear uh, you. one thing I want to say about the bruise is for for many submissives, they're almost like a trophy. Mm-hmm. They'll they'll enjoy those bruises and look at them and touch them, and they want they want to feel the it after, and it's um it can actually be a thing of like pride and sexiness for them, I, and for dominant too, <laughs> and okay. for dominance too. Well, he doesn't seem to be a dominant. I think he's she. You know, he's kind of training, well, you kind of know. a dominant in training it by could her. Be. <laughs> could be. I totally agree. And one thing uh, when you're discussing uh, inflicting bruises on someone, just if you've never done it before, it might seem obvious. But be aware of where you're placing the bruises. Nothing that would be visible in any kind of professional yeah. environment, right? Well, sure. Yeah. Well, again, that that gets you in trouble. But you also you're also talking like when I hear that, I, I'm thinking of 
like literally abuse, real abusive men who will try to, to, will, will strike where the bruises can't be seen, which to me is mm. obviously a whole other issue. Obviously, we're not talking about abuse. We're talking about consensual. But every time I think of like hurt or bruising or, or things that are visible, it's hard not to think of abuse. Well, in all of my years, I have never seen a black eye that was caused by consensual sex. Okay. That's all I'm so, saying on that. I, right. I, you know, it may happen, but I've never heard of it. I've never seen it. And that's, that's not usually like a sexy thing. To get Even, punched in the face. Exactly. Right. So, so when that's you see important. that, I, I personally would be skeptical that it's consensual BDSM. Right. Actually, right. because of experience, if we see somebody with bruise, we can say it's from a play because usually bruise are going to be on the bum. Mm -hmm. or it could be on the breast, but never elsewhere. Because if they have a bruise on the side of the body, that's dangerous. There's, you know... There's or organs, vital there organs, organs. So right. It, and this is basically... Bruises are going to be invisible, but if you know what you're looking for, you're going to, to, to figure out. So here's the thing. This guy who's very new at it better know where he can... Uh, well, sure. That, that's that's right? exactly why I said that, you know, start on the... the the sit part of the butt, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. It starts slow. The softest parts. But you've got to know, sometimes you've got to know anatomy. Like you've got to know you can't hit the side because you don't want to touch the kidneys. You don't want to well, touch... Well, that's, that's you know. why I'd like the bottom sit part of your butt, mm -hmm. if you know what I mean, the, the part you actually would sit on, that's where you start. That That's where you spank. Because if you get up higher, you've got kidneys and, and you know, you're starting to get into places you can actually hurt somebody by not necessarily that hard of a blow. Whereas if it's on the butt, I mean, it's not indestructible, but you can you can wail pretty good on somebody's, like I said, the sit part the, of the butt the without causing. Part. I mean, that's that's why and that's why children are spanked there, mm -hmm. right? And on the fleshy part, yeah, that hurts less. Well, it's also where you're not going to cause damage, right, mm -hmm. to the to any organs on the inside. Yeah, and also be aware that the when you're doing any kind of pain play. Uh, there's usually a period of warming someone up first. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't take it as hard at the beginning. So you start off with, you know, some light uh, hits, maybe a harder spank here or there, and then you can slowly work it up until you're uh, really arriving closer to the limit of the, the I think that's the most important. And then I hear other people who say, uh, my partner likes it when I, when I choke her, or he likes it when I choke him. But again, how do you know how far to go? Well, as you know, we're we're not really uh, for choking during a play because there's so many things that could go wrong. Okay. So for us, choking, we have friends that does it, but they're experienced. They did the research and they went slowly, you know, do, becoming a little better at it each time. But like I like I said, we're not. You're not a fan of it. No. Right. Well, Absolutely. And and I think it's imp but to me that is potentially quite dangerous. Absolutely. Yeah. What well, with think, all. Dane? Uh, I mean, I personally, I I do enjoy a bit of choking in my okay. in my play, but uh, it is a risky activity. I mean, with all of the with with all of the kink 
that we engage in, with all of the sex that we engage in, there's always a certain degree of risk attached to it. With choking, that risk is increased. Well, risk of death um, is to me, a, you know, or passing out or whatever is. Yeah, and uh, there are ways to decrease that that risk when you're doing choking, but you can never really get it to that that minimal level that you want it to be at. And yeah. also, when you when the when you ask your partner to choke you. Like if you're, if they're choking you in a certain way and you can't speak, what, ha you know, how do they know how hard they're going at it? And if they're highly aroused, then if they're highly aroused and they may not know their strength, like that's frightening. Mm -hmm. And uh, a, a mistake that a lot of people make when they're getting into choking as well is, you know, actually cutting off the air supply. When uh, most of the choking play that I do, it's it's more about cutting off the, the blood supply in the neck and it reduces... Not the air supply. Not the air supply. You can crush the trachea really, really well, easily. Well, see, these are all um, things that again, people need to know. There, there's I, I don't feel comfortable giving, a, you know, a tutorial on, on air about that because right. there's too much... There's right. too many details to go into. Right. But there are um, tutorials about that? There are people who teach that? Oh, Diane. yeah. There are people... Okay. who do do workshops on choking on breath play there's okay. people who teach anything you want to learn about yes that that's quite true <laughs> on the internet these days absolutely uh coming up we'll talk about what are some of the more uh, common misperceptions of kink kinky play bdsm play um, and we'll also uh, get to some of uh, of your texts it'll be interesting to see especially the one about our uh, the, the, is it a sickness? You know, a lot of people think that's exactly what it is. So we'll dispel some of those misperceptions after we check in with our CJD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. It's sex out loud and you're welcome to listen in passion on CJD 800. Tonight it's our kink panel, and we have Dane Stewart, an advocate for the human pup community. We have Pierre and Catherine, BDSM practitioners and founders of uh, BDSMCircle.com. I know that these these every time we have this topic, which is once a month, and we do it on purpose. Why do we do it uh, as often as once a month? Is because there are a lot of people who practice BDSM. It is still taboo to talk about it, and the goal here is... It's educational. It's not about promoting any one thing. It's it's a, it's really about bringing people who are practitioners of whatever it is, and teaching every the rest of us who may not be or who may be and may need some validation of what what they're doing or who may have questions uh, because they're engaged in this. And if you look at the statistics, there are far more people who practice. Uh, who who have some kind of kink than you could imagine. It's almost half of the population. So I don't want us to keep our heads in the sand, but I get the reactions like this one. I seriously think this conversation about bruising is absolutely ridiculous and dangerous and a dangerous message to send to possible younger people who may be listening. I find this totally insane. So Number one, this is a show for the 18 plus, and we, we put in a, uh, a disclaimer at the beginning of the show. So that's the first thing. The second thing, we're talking about consensual behaviors here. And whether you like it or not, oftentimes kids who have access to pornography end up seeing a lot of this stuff. Better that they hear it from uh, professionals or 
practitioners themselves to look at the real thing than what they're exposed to. Experienced people. Well, yes, but the in but looking at it in real life rather but than simply in fantasy life. This is just the way some people are wired. And a lot more people are wired this way and like it than others who aren't, mm-hmm. you know. And the thing is, is there's safe ways to do this. So it doesn't mean that you're sick or you're crazy if you have a rape fantasy or that you really want to be raped. It's 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 not about it wanting it to really happen or or that you want to have uh, rough sex. You want it done in a consensual way where you can stop it. And you control where the, it. The, exactly. Yeah. Where you can say, I've had enough. I'm getting to my limit. Or this just isn't fun anymore. And you can stop it. That's, that's, it's all the, the difference between abuse, which would be definitely sending the wrong message mm-hmm. than this, is this is all about consenting adults, doing it safely and doing what they are going to do in a safe manner. Right. And it's, again, when we talk about consent, we're talking about enthusiastic consent of both partners, both partners who really want to do this. So, um, you know, again, this another person, well, it's the same person, I think, who writes, uh, I don't find this educational at all. It, it, it just convinces me that there are really a lot of unbalanced people in the world. Oh, hey. world balance again. <laughs> well, but this is again. And, and I can just, the only thing I can do in, when I, in answer to this is, is look at the research. So the research says actually quite, quite uh, the opposite. So there was a study done in 2006 that compared BDSM oh. practitioners uh, to, to norms on 10 psychological disorders. Compared to the normative sample, BDSM practitioners had lower levels of depression, lower levels of anxiety, lower levels of post-traumatic stress disorder, lower levels of psychological sadism, psychological masochism, meaning that it's uh, troublesome, um, lower uh, instances of borderline uh, pathology and paranoia. So uh, the only thing they showed equal levels of was obsessive compulsive disorder uh, and higher levels of narcissism. Okay, but that's, again, on on the majority of uh, psychological uh, factors, they actually scored lower pathology, not higher pathology. And this has been um, actually repeated so looking at, uh, again, um, there was another study done in 2013 that compared BDSM practitioners to non-practitioners just on, on personality traits, and they found that BDSM practitioners exhibited higher levels of extroversion, conscientiousness, higher levels of conscientiousness, openness to experience, and subjective well-being. Practitioners also, also showed lower levels of neuroticism and rejection sensitivity. So that's it. That is the reality. And this is, and and these have been replicated. So I just want to make sure I present the science side of things as well. We go back to uh, what we do being alternative, even if many times we say it's no longer alternative, but for some people it's, it's too different. And I think we have to put emphasis on this. It's too different. They cannot wrap their head around this saying that people like it, but it's not their norm, but we can't make assumptions, especially when we're talking about consensual 
uh, behavior that is legal and, and all of that. We can't just make uh, judgment calls that everybody who does everything that we don't do is sick. Well, mm-hmm. you know what? I, I think it's also just looking outside your own little world. You know, um, if you just look at hobbies and, and extreme sports, there's extreme sports that people do where it's like they're hurting themselves and they're 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 putting their bodies through oh, these yeah. things. And I think, oh, my gosh, you know, I don't want to bungee jump. Exactly. And I know that's, that's not even, but I don't want to bungee jump. I, I think they're crazy. So here, this but, per, this person writes and, and makes that point. Another texter writes, okay, so the person who criticizes bruising must also have a problem with tattoos, piercing, branding, <laughs> scarification, any kind of body modification. Dane? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's a, I think that's a fair conclusion As to I'm draw. As I'm looking like, at your big ring and your nose. Yeah. My big ring and my sleeve and, tattoos. And your sleeve tattoos, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I think that's a fair conclusion to draw. You can draw other parallels as well. You know, like, what do we define as kinky? Just a little bit of slapping, a little bit of spanking. Um, wearing lingerie, is that considered kinky? You know, where do you draw the line of this This is, goes too far for me? Um, I was thinking, uh, in relation to the conversation about bruises, uh, maybe a more accessible example is uh, think about in high school when you started you first started hooking up with someone and they would leave a, a hickey on your oh, neck yeah, right. which is which a is bruise. a bruise literally right. a, a bruise, neck bruise yes. and <laughs> it serves that same sort of purpose like we were talking about before like it's this sort of badge that you wear that shows like oh this person is has achieved whatever social status comes along with you know right. being sexually active in high school and believe me anybody who's ever received a hickey hickeys hurt oh, like yeah. they hurt to get right yeah, and I, some right. people absolutely detest them. For right. other people, it's sort of this fun thing where you're right. like, "Oh, everybody who sees me can can uh, knows can tell. that I'm yeah I have um, a, a partner." Or and something. so, just take that a step further for us BDSM practitioners, where a lot of us like to maybe have a bit of a larger bruise, still within you know the confines of of consensual play, exactly of negotiated play. Right. Yeah. I have a, a another texter that says, um, "Hello, panel. I'm a gay man in my fifties." Last year, I dated a guy who wanted me to strap him. He asked me to watch a video as I was not sure what he meant. I was more than disturbed he liked that kind of pain. I could not bring myself to inflict such pain, no matter how much it meant to him. Needless to say, we did not date anymore. And that's okay. You can have your limits. I've spoken to, I know I had spoken to one woman who whose husband wanted humil- to be humiliated, let's say, or hurt. And she found this completely repulsive, uh, repulsive to her and was turning her off and could not do, like, she occasionally would because he, for his pleasure, but for her, it, it did it did the opposite to her. And this completely turned her off. So, and, and she ended up feeling that she was more of a dominant than a submissive. So being... Having to, uh, she was more the submissive than the dominant. So having to be put in a role of being dominant just did not sit well with her at all, and it had uh, quite the uh, the opposite. Uh, anyway, it, it's unfortunate that uh, anyway he, this texturized people who think that kinky people are unbalanced are boring vanilla prudes who probably never really <laughs> experienced much pleasure. Expand your horizons. People, they are probably also numb zombies. <laughs> that may be going a little far, but whatever. Uh, coming up, uh, I want to talk about um, somebody's making the distinction here between uh, abuse, uh, choking, 
what's legal, what's not legal, what is lightly slapped. So I want to get to some people's response on this because it's creating, a, it's, it's getting quite a bit of reaction. So I think you'll be interested to hear what our uh, listeners have to say about this. This is our kink panel tonight. This is Passion with Dr. Lori. We're into the home stretch. Our BDSM panel. Uh, we have Pierre and Catherine, who are BDSM practitioners and founders of BDSMCircle.com, and they've been they've been around. They've been around <laughs> and have been practicing for a very long time. And they are a couple, and they've been married, and uh, they are devoted to each other and caring. But they have this other fun life. For them, is fun for them. Sure, right. Uh, and we have uh, Dane Stewart, who is an advocate for the human pup community, which is another yet another uh, kink which falls within the, uh, I guess, a little bit of yeah, the BDSM because it it has the dominance and submission yeah, element to it. It's role playing. So we could, I think, we're going to rename it our kink panel because it's just all kinks come out here somehow, right? Uh, one texter writes, I like being lightly choked. I don't understand how I hear so many people talk about abusive partners that hit people, yet any partner I ever had, I have to beg to be lightly slapped. Often they say they don't want to hurt me, and it's not in their nature. What I do is guide him. I ask and he complies, but I never got a mark from it. Maybe I attract submissive men. I never seem to meet someone who matches my aggression unless it comes with anger. Well, that's abuse. So aggression that comes with anger is abuse. Uh, Does alcohol induce aggression? Uh, Well, alcohol disinhibits. And if you're already an aggressive personality or, or an abusive person, you might do things that you would not do uh, if you were uh, not uh, under the influence of alcohol. Agreed. But an abuse, an abuse is abuse, and this is consent. And you don't consent when you're with alcohol. So, as a general rules, you don't do BDSM if you're drunk or stoned. Right, it's dangerous. Or angry or, or angry. angry. Same <laughs> right. thing. Same deal. Right. So I think that's a really important thing that we there are. There are rules, right? Like people, it's not just a a free for all. I want to get smacked. There you go. You're talking about rules. You're talking about uh, doing it conscientiously. After month after month, we talk about negotiation, but you need to have negotiation before you can have informed consent. Right. So, you know, there's many, many people, unfortunately, that will just kind of practice it. It's like, well, I... I think she's going to like to be choked, you know, and I mean, that's what Jan Gomesh uh, was was accused of. Right, right. Um, And I personally don't think that even if he did what was accused, that he necessarily thought he was being abusive. He, I'm pretty sure he thought it was going to be a, a sexy, choking, kinky thing. Right. Right. But if there's no negotiation or prior consent, then this it is, is abuse. Then it then it is and, interpreted um, as abuse. Well, uh, sure, it is abuse. Right, right. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, and uh, unfortunately, it's uncomfortable sometimes in the negotiation to talk about it until you're in the throes of of passion. But that's not when you want to start talking right. about it. That's right. And as one text writes, so it's literally about control and control over ourselves. It Certainly. is about control. Exactly. I'm right. going to put it a, a little further than that. When, as a dominant, I have a submissive and she's tied up and I'm doing things to her, 
I have her life in my hand. Mm-hmm. You cannot deal with this if you're not all there. Right. I mean, it becomes dangerous quite fast. Right. It, potentially quite yeah. dangerous. Absolutely. Um, another texter, here's a question for you. Uh, I'm a gay man and I often engage in orgies and post online requests for participants. Pain at the moment of ejaculation is our thing. We enjoy having nipples and testicles squeezed roughly at the moment of climax while being slapped hard in the face and urinated on. (laughs) Uh, For this reason, we often choose to have sex in the shower. One of our friends is asking me... Oh, God, I don't even know if I want to say this. Uh, Basically, um, Um. (laughs) uh, even I'm blushing. One of our friends, block your ears, is asking me to suck my sperm from his anus after I climax. My question is, is this dangerous? Who wants to take that one on? (laughs) Everybody's looking at me. I don't know why, but go ahead. Uh, it's because I got excited halfway through that. Oh, oh, because you're um, the gay man, the other another gay man. Yeah. Okay, well, tell us what. Okay, to, I, to me, the first of all, the the bodily fluids business mm-hmm. is dangerous right there. Yeah, so there's always a risk of uh, bodily fluids uh, containing any number of viruses, HIV. Although uh, it's his own, I think he's talking about his own. Well, but be aware once something enters the the anal cavity, if you're putting your uh, mouth on someone else's right, there's uh, bacteria right there anyway there's yes. bacteria and the the intestinal wall is incredibly thin so right. it's very easily easy for a tear to occur in that and for you to ingest the other person's blood right. now as long well, as that's there, true the blood right as long as there aren't open wounds in your your mouth this is one of the reasons that we don't floss before we go to orgies mm-hmm. um you there should be a relatively low chance of transmission of any sort of viruses um however when we're engaging in any sort of uh you know mouth to anus kind of of play or any sort of play with fecal matter uh there is and i'm not 100 percent sure of the details here but there is some risk of uh transmission of bacteria absolutely. from one person's intestine Certainly. into your uh, you know, gastrointestinal tract so there absolutely. is there is a bit of a risk there as well um so you know it's uh it's not uh, completely safe, uh, but as we were talking about before, there's a risk, a certain degree of risk attached to a lot of the kinky activities that we do. Um, as long as you're aware of that risk, uh, it's up to you as a consenting adult whether or not you're you're willing to assume that as you play. Well, that's quite the uh, <laughs> the the text to end on, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Huh? But it's not a safe practice. Okay. Right. And we but you can only get safer. Like it mm-hmm. yes. it's about safer sex practices. Exactly. Any any sexuality is there is no such thing as com- complete safety unless there's abstinence. Complete well, abstinence. So And there's a an acronym that we use a lot in the kink world, uh called RAC. R A C K. Okay. Stands for risk aware consensual kink. Okay. So it's acknowledging that there is that risk attached okay. to these activities, acknowledging that you are aware of it. And that you are consenting to engage in that activity, uh, being aware of the risk that's involved. Which I think is a a good uh, acronym for sure. So be aware of the risk. Get informed. I think the message today was really get your information. Don't just do this willy-nilly like just because you heard about this. Like go and get information. Do this safely. Uh, do this, make sure there's always consent, get it in writing. Another person wrote in with that, the guy who uh, his girlfriend wanted to leave, uh, wanted him to leave bruises. 
he the texter writes, don't do it. It's going to come back to bite him. Excuse the pun here, but it might. So if you, if you're going to negotiate something like that and you're uncomfortable or you're not in a real, a trusting relationship, a healthy relationship, well, I don't know about healthy, but, um, I don't know if you don't know the person all that well or whatever, get it in writing. Many times the negotiation will start, let's say online. And that's as good as writing. You know, you, you talk, you, and oh, that's you, true. Yes. You can yeah. get consent uh, by yep. writing online. Right. Uh, as Catherine mentioned earlier in the program, though, and I think this is a good point to to make, uh, consent, it's not continuous, right? You can revoke your consent at any Anytime. time. Yep. Right. Um, so there are some criticisms of uh, this, get the, the consent contract. in writing, get this contract, right. um, that it could be abused by somebody who, you know, gets a, a drunk girl to sign the contract right. and then, you know, takes advantage of her regardless of the fact that she's not really in the the headspace to be able right. to consent. But I would in I would put in that consent, for example, that I'm agreeing to get to go into a role play, BDSM role play that involves this, this, and this, but I understand that I can revoke my consent at mm. any time. Yeah. So I like I would yeah. actually sure. make sure that that is understood. It's just a question of if those bruises end up in the, you know, uh, going to the police or whatever, is there an explanation? Is there, so you have to have some form well, of defense. Well, I mean, a, a safe word is revoking consent. Right. And so remember your safe word. Well, we've come to the end of the program. Well, that was interesting. What a way to end the night Thank with you. that tax boy. Whew, I'm like still sweating. Uh, Dane Stewart, Pierre and Catherine, uh, thank you so much for being here. Dane can be found on WoofMTL and, or at TalkingDogProductions.ca. Pierre and Catherine at BDSMCircle.com. You can find me at DrLaurie.com. Thank you so much for all of your texts. Made the show super interesting with all of your questions and situations that we could uh, help you out with here. Uh, and thanks, of course, to uh, Dave Simon, our technical producer. Connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Betito, B-E-T-I-T-O. Uh, coming up next on CJD, the CTV National News. Have a wonderful rest of the evening, and remember to live your life with passion. In the moon.